1: We don't bring any life at all to the church. The church is, is the life. Uh, still gives us the life. Live. The reality is, He is all things beautiful, capital B. And so anything that is authentically beautiful draws us, even if we don't realize it, to God.
2: Welcome to Real Presence Live this morning. This is Roxanne Salon and your host coming at you from the Fargo uh, studio. And we have a great show lined up this morning. I, I will be talking with three priests throughout the next couple of hours. So I am privileged to to be in communion with the men in black this morning. So uh, appreciate you uh, coming, coming in to, to be with us and us coming in to be with you. Uh, we have Father Sean Mulligan on the phone this morning. I'm going to call him right in because I would love him, if he doesn't mind, to start us out in prayer. Good morning, Father.
1: Good morning, Roxanne. Did I put you on the spot
2: there? I didn't forewarn you, but I, I hoped that you could start our show out this morning with a little bit of prayer. Is that okay?
1: Of course I can. Okay. Great. Awesome. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. I'm going to pray the Anima Christi. Okay.
2: Mm-hmm. Hey, sounds good.
1: Soul of Christ, sanctify me. Body of Christ, save me. Blood of Christ, and me. Water from the side of Christ, wash me. Passion of Christ, strengthen me. O good Jesus, hear me. Within thy wounds hide me. Separated from thee, let me never be. From the malignant enemy, defend me. At the hour of death, call me. And close to thee, bid me, that with thy saints I may be praising thee forever and ever. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.
2: Thank you. What a beautiful prayer. I love that prayer. Uh, So thank you for being on with us today. You're coming from Daisy, North Dakota. Is that correct?
1: Yes. Yep. So I serve Daisy, uh, Wimbledon, and Kentville, and actually I uh, live right in Wimbledon. Okay. Uh, So yeah. Yep.
2: All right. Well, why don't you just start by telling us a little bit about yourself? Some people don't know you, and we want to know a little bit about your background and introduce
1: yourself. Sure. Of course. Um, well, I grew up on our family farm about four miles north of Grand Forks. Uh, my parents are James and Jean Mulligan. Our home parish is St. Michael's in Grand Fork. And I'm the second oldest of four of so uh, three siblings, uh, two sisters, Jenny and Jamie, and my brother Mike. Uh, they are all married and have kids since I have seven nephews and one niece. Um, my younger siblings and I, we were homeschooled all the way through, okay, through 12th grade. And then I went to UND uh, from 2002, 2006. And while I was there with Father Cornwright and at the Human Center, um, I got heavily involved with the Human Center and Focus. And um, yeah, just kind of long story short, heard uh, Jews call me to become a priest during that time. Um, And after college in 2006, I entered seminary for seven years. and I was ordained a priest on June 7, 2013, and the first assigned to uh, St. James' Basilica in Jamestown, along with the outlying parishes, and then um, 2016 went to Holy Spirit in Fargo, and then 2018, uh, first time as pastor out here at St. Wimbledon, St. Mary's Daisy, and St. John's Um Yeah, so that's a little bit about uh, the history, I guess, of my life.
2: Yeah, so you're looking at almost uh, 10 years as a priest now.
1: You're right, yeah, yep, so just kind of my ninth year anniversary, so yeah, time flies by.
2: Well, thank you for your saying yes, and um, why don't we uh, talk a little bit about uh, your earliest encounter with Christ? Like, what was it that you you mentioned hearing a call? Can you explain that? That's always a a mysterious thing thing for us to hear so can you kind of like in the best way possible explain what was going on in your heart during that time and what were the influences
1: sure um of course the greatest influences were my mom and dad just um teaching at a young young age just the simple simple prayers um but obviously those having a profound effect on me and, and my faith like this so really, really get to my parents and. Um, as early child, sacraments um, being drawn closer to the Lord, and you know, I, I know I probably had many more encounters that uh, earlier on, but like the ones that really stand out to me are actually the first time I received the sacrament in um, you know, my first confession, incredibly nervous when you go in <laughs> the first time, and um, but afterwards, just being so full of, um, I guess, light and and a great joy and a peace. Uh, same with first Holy Communion. And then later in high school, we had confirmations in high school at that time, I was confirmed, and there was just a great joy um, I felt on that day. Um, with the call, I, you know, those who know me would say I'm never shy, but, <laughs> but back in the day, I was super shy. And I was actually too nervous to uh, serve at Mass, but uh, they needed an Alpha server when I was in 10th grade, and so I started serving at St. Michael's. And... Um, I just really enjoyed it and I enjoyed helping the priest uh, being up there. And I was like, you know what? Nobody really notices you up here. You just going to kind of help out, which is kind of cool. And during that time, some people started coming up to me at my home parish at St. Michael's and they said, Hey, have you ever thought about being a priest? And it, I really hadn't until they mentioned that. Then I started thinking about it. And so I appreciate the good people there at St. Mike's for um, giving me that invitation. Um, and then I kind of had like a high school girlfriend. And so I ran away from the idea of being a priest. <laughs> I was mm-hmm. like, there's no way I'm going to do this. And um, as so I fought God for about three years. Um, and then, but as I got involved with focus at UND and just God kind of revealing some of the desires on my heart to spread the gospel, share the faith, and seeing these men in this Bible study being drawn closer to the Lord, um, the Lord kind of revealed some desires in my heart. I Didn't quite know were there, wasn't aware of them until then. And this hunger grew within me to spread the faith. And really, actually, the call came as as I started going to Eucharistic adoration in college, and I really sensed in my heart Jesus calling me to be all his, uh, to belong completely to him. And um, I still, you know, normal guy, still wanted to get married and have kids and so forth, but just like, I really did fall in love with Christ. And in the Holy Eucharist, and it was from that um, that I, I really sensed in the depth of my heart and my being that the reason God put me here, that He made me, was to be all His in this way as a priest and to serve His people. Um, that happened at UND. It was a great time there at the Newman Center, um, and like I said, entered seminary. So, mm.
2: one of the things that struck me when you were explaining all that. Was back in the earliest sacraments, and you said you felt a life, you know, and which makes sense because grace is God's life in us. So, yeah. you know, but but we that's always that's not something we can like always tangibly explain. Um, but it's it's a beautiful aspect of of the sacra- sacraments, and it's what God wants to give us in those. So. Uh, how would you explain your belief in the real presence of Christ in the Eucharist? I assume just as this progression towards your vocation was, was uh, you know, continuing, also your belief in the real presence truly. Uh, what kind of steps did did you go through, did your soul go through in regards to that, in that belief?
1: Yeah, thank you, Roxanne. Um, yeah, I guess— may sound a little simple, but it really is the biggest reason that I believe in the real presence of Jesus in the Holy Eucharist is simply because the church tells me it's Jesus and also because uh, the Bible tells me it's Jesus, as we see in John 6 and the Last Supper, 1 Corinthians 11 and so forth, that Jesus saying that this his body and blood, to take this and eat of it. Um, so, you know, there's many things I think, you know, we all have different struggles and gifts and there's plenty of things that I struggle with with doubting, but uh, thankfully, by God's grace, I've not struggled with um, the doubt of His presence in the Holy Eucharist. Um, I guess I just know that, obviously, Jesus doesn't lie, right? And, uh, and that um, the Church, you know, won't lie in uh, these big matters of faith and, and morals. And um, that's, you know, first and foremost, why I believe. And, and from that gift of faith, because this is a gift that, that God gives us, uh, from that gift of faith, um, and on the personal level, it, through adoration, especially in later in high school and then college, um, my, um, it really deepened. Um, and again, like as i go to adoration, it wasn't like huge fireworks often, but I would go to adoration for an hour and then I would feel different, um, from the time I came versus the time when I left. And oftentimes, mm-hmm. there's is a, a, deep, a deeper joy, a deeper peace I have. Um, and actually, in, in college, like I was spiritually consoled, and I felt close to God. And like I was saying, I, I was falling more in love with Jesus. I was receiving His love for me, but I didn't even know that was happening. Like, I was experiencing something. I was like, oh, that was nice. <laughs> and then I moved on. And it wasn't until I went to seminary and uh, these good priests, um, which I'm so grateful for, taught me about the discernment of spirit, and I was like, whoa, like, that was you, Jesus, like, speaking Mm -hmm. to me and reaching to me in a personal way. Um, Yeah, so it's kind of uh, been my journey, I guess, a little bit, um, about my journey in faith in the Holy Eucharist.
2: mm -hmm. Yeah, it is a a vibrant presence that you—it's hard to explain. I know when I first started going to adoration, I kind of thought, hmm, not sure i mean I, it wasn't that i didn't believe but but I, I it was a new experience for me um in adulthood because i'd never been exposed to it before and uh i kind of sat with it for a while and then pretty soon as i did it more i didn't question it anymore it just was this presence and this like you said joy just this this warm feeling just sitting there that i don't think you could get just sitting in any room so um well we're going to talk about Corpus Christi Sunday, which is coming up, uh, we're going to, maybe Good. we'll just introduce that really quick before our break. So uh, what is special about it? Just give us a little little brief tease here before we go to our break.
1: Sure. Um, well, Corpus Christi, that's Latin. Corpus for body, Christi for Christ. And so it's the feast of the body of Christ. And it's the day, of course, every Sunday we celebrate the body of Christ at Mass. Uh, but where the church wants to emphasize uh, that Jesus is with us in our midst. And so kind of like a birthday or you know wedding anniversary, those celebrations we have in our life, um, well, the Church also gives us these celebrations um, each year to kind of remind us and inspire us of the amazing gift that is before us, that we have. In, in this case, um, God, who is literally with us in all of our Catholic churches, uh, every Sunday at every Mass, uh, where God is physically and spiritually present His body, blood, soul, and divinity.
2: I had an experience one summer, I was with a loved one who left the church, and uh, it was Corpus Christi Sunday, she she came to Mass with me, and um, I was almost like, <laughs> kind of a little, little bit embarrassed that it was Corpus Christi Sunday, because I knew that that would be something that would convict her. Not embarrassed, but just a little worried about the whole thing, but um, I, I hope that somehow it it. Reached her. Um, it is such a special thing. I, I love that you think of it as a birthday, um, like a celebration. I mean, I'm not saying you're, you're saying that's Jesus' birthday, but that kind of celebration. I think we can all relate to a birthday celebration or uh, something, an anniversary. So that's, that's beautiful. Um, okay, well, we're going to take a short break here. And when we come back from the other side, we will talk about a Eucharistic procession that you have coming up that is going to bring Jesus out into the world in a visible tangible way. So stay tuned we'll be right back with real more real presence live with Father Sean Mulligan. Stay with us. There's more real presence live to come on the Real Presence Radio Network.
0: Hello, this is Mike Kidrowski, Director of Advancement for Real Presence Radio with a creative gift planning tip. Have interruptions impacted your charitable giving? If you feel like you have less to give this year or are waiting until you get through these recent challenges, we want to let you know about some creative gift options that won't cost you a dime this year. For example, you could designate Real Presence Radio as the beneficiary of all or percentage of your IRA or make RPR beneficiary of a percentage of your estate or specific asset. Make a bequest commitment gift this year without impacting your savings or investments. To learn more about the benefits of making a charitable bequest, please visit our plan-giving website at rprlegacy.org or call me at 701 701 2904503 Let's get started.
2: I'm Carrie Du, Executive Director of Riverview Place. I've worked my entire career in healthcare as a social worker in the hospital, skilled nursing and hospice settings. I love my job. Not only do I get to work with a caring, dedicated team that displays human kindness to every resident, it's a privilege to offer seniors a lifestyle that reminds me of what it felt like to grow up in the small rural town of Buffalo, North Dakota. To join our faith-based community, call us today for a tour at 701-412-1952.
1: You're listening to Real Presence Live! Now, back to more
0: inspirational and uplifting stories, and a look at the extraordinary things happening in our local area, heard right here on the RPR Network.
2: Welcome back to Real Presence Live. This is Roxanne Salmon. We have Father Sean Mulligan um, by phone, and he is talking about something that brings life to us, which is the Eucharist, presence of Christ, real presence of Christ. We are Real Presence Radio, so it all fits together this morning. All right, welcome back, Father Sean Mulligan, and um, we want to talk a little bit about the history and the reason behind Eucharistic processions, for one thing, and then also tell us a little bit about one that you have planned coming up, and maybe some people listening have never heard of anything like this, so uh, go ahead and share a little bit about what a Eucharistic procession is, and also the one that you have coming up in your neighborhood.
1: Yeah, thank you, Roxanne. Well, the Feast of Corpus Christi actually started in the 13th century. And so the Feast of that we're going to celebrate this Sunday. And in the 1200s, like the Holy Spirit was working and stirring in the church. And just um, even before I go into that, you, you see this happening right now in the United States um, with the Bishop's Eucharistic revival. Um, and hopefully this is like just a reminder to us that uh, the incredible goodness of God and that God takes care of us. And He leads us during difficult times. He never, ever, ever abandons us. And so uh, this Corpus Christi Sunday will begin the three-year Eucharistic revival, which I'm sure many of you have heard about, and which is just awesome. You know, as the bishops gathered and got together and prayed and discerned that this is what God is asking them and asking all of us to do over these next three years. And so personally, I'm super excited to see what the Lord does. Um, over the next three years uh, to help foster our uh, devotion to Jesus and the Blessed Sacrament. And so kind of in that same vein, um, in the 13th century, the Holy Spirit was also working. um, And God comes, as we see in church history, often in times of crisis, and he brings out these beautiful and good things um, to support and to build up our faith. And during that time, the 13th century, you started for the first time having a lot of um, not made a lot, but anyway, so some the major theologians who were questioning, raising questions and doubts about the real presence in the Holy Eucharist. And these theologians had effects upon people and, and even some priests. And so there was this German priest who was making a pilgrimage to Rome, um, perhaps uh, seeking to heal himself of, of his own doubts in the real presence of Jesus in the Holy Eucharist. But so as he was going to Rome... Uh, He celebrated Mass um, about an hour out of Rome in um, the small town, um, Bolsena, and during Mass, again, he was struggling with these doubts, as he, during the consecration, as as he was holding the host up, he saw something that he had never seen before. And here the consecrated host started to bleed, and um, Christ's blood coming forth from the consecrated host started dripping down and it fell on the corporal. The corporal is a small cloth on the altar to catch any fragments of the host. And obviously, he was so excited about this Eucharistic miracle, and again, you know, God in his mercy and goodness coming to that priest um, in his own struggles and in his own doubts. And so this priest, he went over um, and it found the Pope, who was then Pope Urban IV, um, who was in this city at that time, or or veto. And so as the priest went to the Pope, he told the Pope what happened. Uh, The Pope sent some of his leaders in the Vatican to go investigate this and to confirm that it really uh, happened, which it did. And um, the relics you can see those actually to this day, the um, blood on the corporal. And this really moved the Pope. Um, But even before this miracle, uh, there's people who are coming to the Pope saying that something had to be done To revive the faith of the faithful in in the church about Christ's eucharistic presence, and one um, instrumental uh, person's uh, role in that was Saint Juliana, um, who actually died in 1258. Um, And so the that miracle from that priest happened in um, 1263. So 1263, so a few years before that, Saint Juliana, who died in 1258. um, she had been receiving these visions from Jesus, and Jesus was appearing to her and telling her that the Church needs to have a be dedicated to the Holy Eucharist, to the Blessed Sacrament. Uh, St. Juliana had told the Pope about this. Um, the Pope wasn't quite sure, should I do this or not? Um, and then a few years later, you have this priest coming to Rome, this German priest, this Eucharistic miracle happened uh, in 1263. And then finally in 1264, Uh, Pope Urban IV, he instituted the feast day that we have today known as Corpus Christi. And as he did this, he also commissioned a great saint during that time, St. Thomas Aquinas, uh, to write some beautiful prayers and hymns associated with Corpus Christi. And these are hymns and prayers that we sing to this day, and you might recognize them at adoration, the O Salutaris and the Tantum Ergo. And of course, from this, to help people grow in their faith and love of christ in the blessed sacrament um grew the tradition of the eucharistic procession um which will be happening in a number of churches um throughout our diocese and and really throughout the world um on corpus christi sunday um or on corpus christi thursday as this uh, as that's be celebrated um other times on um, that day throughout the world and a eucharistic procession is where the priest or the bishop or the pope will take the consecrated host, Jesus in the Blessed Sacrament. Uh, He's placed in a gold vessel called a monstrance, and this is where the priest uh, processes around um, and outside the church, maybe around the parking lot or even around the neighborhood in the city's blocks and in the streets, and where people follow behind, singing hymns and praying, and is giving a, a public witness that we are following Christ. And um, we gather, we're physically present with God, who is physically present with us in the Blessed Sacrament, and it's meant to be seen as a symbol that as we are physically kind of walking and professing um, as pilgrims on um, on the way so to follow Jesus, that spiritually speaking, we'd also commit our lives to following Jesus, uh, following Him in the Holy Eucharist, following Him in our daily lives um, on the way. And uh, processions are something that uh, go all the way back in the Old Testament um, and in the Bible as the Jewish people would make processions up to Jerusalem, um, to the the temple on the different feast days as well. And of course, you see a continuation of that in the New Covenant uh, in the church um, uh, in these Eucharistic processions.
2: Hmm. I think of what you said, God comes in times of crisis. And it seems to me that during the COVID times, we were seeing while Jesus coming out <laughs> into the streets, there were seemed yeah. to be more processions. And two, I think also in the, the world that's becoming more secularized and, and doubting, even Catholics doubting that Jesus is present there, which is a crisis. Um, I think yeah. we're seeing him come out to us, and it's so beautiful. Uh, have you seen people... Responding to this, what are some of the things you've seen? I love the stories that you've told of the past. Do you have any, like in the in the current day, that where you've seen people moved by this, their hearts changed, maybe coming closer to the church because of this visible presence of Christ?
1: Sure. Um, yes, I, you know, in a number of different ways. Um, a big way too is the Steubenville conference, and so that's where the teens that go. We have one in the Twin Cities. A lot of us go to from the Diocese of Fargo here, and the highlight actually for the kids to go on that conference is is adoration, and it's like about a two-hour adoration where the priest is professing with Jesus in the in the monastery. and kids as they're encountering Christ as he's walking by them, many of them begin to open up and even tear tear uh, up and um, break down in a certain sense as they're encountering Christ who is with them. They know that it's not a symbol, but it is Jesus. And um, there's a number of stories where um, the youth have been set free from addictions or have heard the call to the priesthood or religious life. Um, also, about 11 years ago, um, as a seminarian, I was on Young Disciples team where you go around to different uh, churches in the diocese to put on like a bible camp for the week and one of those camps is in Lidgerwood North Dakota and I was teaching the fourth graders about the math and one of them I believe her name was Jessica so shout out to Jessica from Lidgerwood if you're there mm-hmm. um, she said again as a fourth grader so just you know maybe a year after receiving her first Holy Communion she <laughs> she told me she said you know you got to admit those hosts they taste pretty good Jesus satisfies my hunger. <laughs> oh! So, but so even this little girl, you know, you mentioned something that Jesus satisfies her hunger, and mm. that's what we hear in this coming Sunday's Gospel, where God fed these 5,000 men with this small amount of food, and they all ate and were satisfied. And, you know, the deepest longing, which this fourth grader recognized, is, is for God. Obviously, a small host not satisfied, like a physical hunger, or satisfies a deeper hunger, um, our spiritual hunger for God and the Holy Eucharist. Um, and I like to mention too, if I can, give a little shout out to our upcoming um, Eucharistic procession, where that's taking place at Saint Mary's and Daisy. Um, so this coming Saturday, so we have it on Saturday. That way, more priests and laity can make it. Um, we'll be celebrating um, our hundred and eighteenth annual outdoor Eucharistic procession. So it's been going on for 118 years, it's been amazing. Uh, the people at St. Mary's uh, Daisy uh, do a wonderful job. Uh, they uh, work very hard um, throughout the, the coming months and weeks to uh, prepare, make the church beautiful with flowers. The men uh, will be gathering outside on Friday to uh, clean the tree line out. That's when we profess through uh, as we have two chapels set up. And so it'll be happening this Saturday, June 18th at 10 a.m. We'll start with Mass. And we always invite a guest. And so our guest priest this year is Father Neil Pfeiffer, uh, the pastor at St. James' Basilica. And then following that uh, will be the Eucharistic procession through the woods. After that, we have a meal, free will offering, and then outdoor fellowship and games, where we have confession stands and um, and maybe some the softball, and yard games. And it's a great, great event. If you haven't been, it, been to it, I want to um, highly recommend that if you're able to, to come on out. and. Again, Mary's various churches in the country, so six miles east of Daisy. Um, and we also invite all those who have received their first Holy Communion and Confirmation uh, to come in their special attire uh, mm-hmm. to help lead the procession. Um, they will be following after the altar servers and the crucifix, and they'll have baskets of flowers and petals that they'll be uh, putting on the ground um, before uh, Jesus as we process forward. Um, so, again, please do come, if you can, like, uh, Saturday, June 18th at 10 a.m.
2: Beautiful. How many people usually join the procession?
1: Um, my guess is anywhere from, like, 150, maybe 200, okay. uh, depending on the year. So, wow. Yeah.
2: 118 years. So this isn't a new thing you're starting. <laughs> this is something that's no, been going uh-huh. on a while. Yep. Yeah. Wonderful. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you, Father Sean. We're about ready to be done with this segment, but we really appreciate you coming on and just reminding us of the beauty of Jesus Christ in His in his true presence. He wants to be with us. He wants to enliven our hearts. He wants to remind us that He's with us. And we thank you so much for leading this procession. That's going to be so beautiful. What is the weather calling for? Sunny, I think, right? And no rain, hopefully?
1: Yes, uh, windy and hot. Okay. So, to keep the bugs away. So. <laughs> so it's
2: sacrificial, too, but we can do that for Christ. He did a lot for us, so... Exactly. All right. Thank you for your time again. And we're going to take a short break and have our next guest, who is Monsignor Richter from the Diocese of Bismarck. So stay tuned.
1: Live, engaging, and local, this is Real Presence Live, where we bring you positive and uplifting stories and share the great things happening in our local area on the Real Presence Radio Network.